Today we're going to talk about letting go of the past, specifically letting go and pressing on. And uh, our general theme, we're still talking about discipleship. Uh, Discipleship speaks of what? It speaks of growing, of maturity. It speaks of moving forward. And so if we're not able to let go of the past, then we're unable to move forward. And if if we're unable to move forward, then we're hindered in our growth and our maturity. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. And we're going to be, it's going to kind of be where we're, we're going to park. I'll read verse 13 to you. Philippians three thirteen, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Well, Father, we ask you today that you'd open our hearts and open our minds to the Word of God, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, God, reveal, illuminate this Word, that you would make known to us the truth, and the truth, God, would set us free. Lord, specifically today, we're asking that you would help us to walk free from those things that are behind us, Lord, anything, anything, God, that may hinder us and distract us and hold us and keep us, Father, we're asking today that as you reveal truth to us, as we come to know you, Jesus, more fully, that we would walk free of those things, reaching forward, pressing toward those things which are ahead, those things which speak of you, those things which are in you, Lord Jesus We ask this, Father, for your glory, knowing, Lord, that in your glory we find our greatest joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I remember in talking about change, and this, this is part of change, change transformation that God brings to our life necessitates. It, it, it speaks of this very thing of letting go of the past, letting go of things behind, so that we can press on toward the things which are ahead. And so, one of the greatest reasons people resist change is, we said, because of fear. Fear of letting go. Fear of letting go of what is behind. And oftentimes, it's fear of letting go of what is familiar. Um, you know, a lot of times um, people, you know, you see this a lot with people who struggle with addiction, or maybe they have um, issues in their past where they had very painful experiences from their past, and they've lived with this pain and with this suffering, and they have see themselves as a victim of all the pain and all the suffering and all the injustice that's happened in their life. And and their life becomes built around this mentality, this mind. The Bible calls it a mindset. Uh, Actually, in 2 Corinthians 10.3, the Bible calls it a stronghold. These are strongholds that form in our lives. But a lot of times, people learn how to survive in that, and they become so proficient at surviving in their pain, they become so good at being a victim 
They become so familiar with it that it becomes very difficult for them to walk out of that. Even though to walk out of it is, is really what's profitable. And I often use this analogy, it's kind of like you've spent so long in this prison cell, and you see this with people who spend long years incarcerated. It gets to a point to where they are afraid to be not incarcerated any longer because they've learned how to survive incarcerated. They've learned how to live in there. The thought of coming out of that prison is actually extremely fearful of them for them because they don't know how to deal with the outside. They don't know how to deal with freedom because they've become so good at dealing with their bondage. And it's, it's kind of like the prison door is open, it's unlocked, but we're fearful to walk out of it because we've become so familiar with, with where we are. And so we live stuck in those things that are behind us. When Christ set us free, he set us free from those things, not so that we could stay in the things behind us, but so that we could move forward and press on toward the goal, the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And so it's often those things that that keep us rooted and stuck in the past. So fear, what's fear? What's the foundation of fear? What's the root of fear? It's unbelief. Really, it's unbelief. And so fear is rooted in unbelief, and unbelief exists proportionate to the revelation of truth in our life. I believe this. The enemy has no authority in the life of the believer except to the degree that that believer's mind has not been renewed to the truth. And that's it. And this is why the Scripture teaches us to renew our mind, to renew our mind. Why? Because as my mind is renewed, as I come into a knowledge of the truth... There is nothing the enemy can hook me with. There is nothing he can deceive me with because the truth has set me free. And so uh, fear is rooted in unbelief. And as we grow in the knowledge of Christ, this is what uh, what John says in 1 John, 1 John 4.18. We know that fear involves torment, but perfect love casts out what? All fear. Well, Those who are fearful, he says, have not been made perfect in love. In other words, they're fearful because they don't have a knowledge of the truth. And the truth is, God's love for me is complete. But if I don't know that, then I'm fearful. Why are people afraid of the dark? Because they can't see through the darkness. But but yet you can go into the very same backyard... In the daylight, and you're not afraid of anything. Why? Because you can see everything. But, but when it's dark, you're fearful to walk into the backyard because you can't see what's there. What is it that's causing you to be fearful? It's a lack of knowledge. And it it's all takes us back to a basic level of unbelief. So perfect love casts out all fear. And what's lacking is a knowledge of God's perfect love. Our level of fear is directly proportionate to the revelation of truth. The truth of His complete love for us. So he who fears, John says, has not been made perfect or complete in love. That doesn't mean you need to love God more. That means you need to understand how completely God loves you. 
It's not, well, if I could just love God more, I wouldn't be fearful. This is oftentimes what people do. And they get in a system of works where they're trying to figure out, how can I love God more? Well, if I read my Bible more, I'll love him more. Well, if I pray harder, I'll love him more. Well, if I go to church more, I'll love him more. Well, all those things are good, but those things are not going to make you love him more necessarily. And the problem is not perhaps the degree that you love him. The problem is you don't understand his love for you. So what does John say in that same letter? He says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. When the revelation of his love for us came, when I understand his love for me, I am now able to what? Love him in return. And the more I understand and the more I am able to see his complete love for me, the more I am able to love him in return. To the point that that love becomes so complete in my understanding of it that fear is cast out. And so discipleship is letting go. It's pressing on. And as disciples, we must forget those things that are behind, reach forward to those things that are ahead, and press toward the goal. But if we're trapped in fear, fear of letting go, fear of forgetting, because we've become so familiar with things, that's not a good thing. And so God calls us. Paul says, one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind. So let's talk about that. Forgetting those things which are behind. Let's, let's go up a little uh, toward the beginning of this chapter. Let's begin in, in verse 3. Let's, let me read this to you. I'll just begin at the beginning of the chapter. Philippians 3.1 Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for to me... For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Those who were trying to put them back under the law, who were trying to convince them that the only way you become righteous, the only way you become saved, the only way you get God's favor and God's love is you've got to work for it. You've got to do these things to earn that. He says, beware of those dogs. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now this is important for us as believers. Have no confidence in the flesh. Paul is going to clarify here. He says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And so he then gives his credentials here. He says, this is why I have a reason to be confident in the flesh. And he's, he's comparing himself to these guys who are coming in saying, you guys need to get back under the works of the flesh, back under the law. He says, here's, here's a reason why I have reason to be confident in the flesh, more so than even these guys that are trying to deceive you circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Wow. Let's see, we can't understand that statement because we have no concept of what that meant. 
the, the hoops that Paul had to jump through in order to call himself blameless in the law. But yet he does, and I don't believe he's lying, and I don't believe he's exaggerating. He says, I have a reason to boast in the flesh, because this, this was my life. This is who I was. But look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me? In other words, he says, you know, there was a time in my life when that was gained to me. I mean, all of those things, all of those truths were adding to my life, or so I thought they were. The more righteous I was, the more I kept the law, the more I reveled in who I was, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, it was gained to me. My righteousness, my account of righteousness was growing, 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 growing. There was a time when I believed that, he said. But then he says this, those things, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss. Now most people today, this is true, most people I encounter today as a pastor are not struggling with their past because they were so righteous. You know, Pastor Jeff, I'm really struggling with my past. I mean, I was just so righteous. I, I was such a moral person, you know, I, I'm just really struggling with that, trying to get out of that morality and that righteousness and that holiness that defined my life. That's not usually what I deal with. And Paul says, even that, that which I thought was gain, my righteousness in the law that was gained to me, I count it lost now. But he says, not just that, but I also count all things as loss. So in Paul's zeal for God, you know what he became? He became a persecutor of the church. Paul held the clothes of the Pharisees as they stoned Stephen to death. As they stoned him to a bloody pulp there outside of Jerusalem. It was Paul that witnessed that, that was there. And Paul went to do the very same thing to others like Stephen. Because in his zeal for God, he thought that his service of God demanded that he stamp out, that he kill the church, those followers of Christ. But something happened, and Paul went from being a persecutor of the church to a protector of the church. And he let go of those things that were behind him. What things are behind you that you need to let go of? What things are behind you that you need to forget? It's very interesting what, what Paul is writing here, and it, it's hard for us in our Western mind to really understand what he's really communicating here, but we'll, we'll see if we can kind of grasp this and get a hold of it. So he goes on and he says, Indeed, all things, I also count all things lost. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that. This is so important. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things ahead. So let's talk about forgetting those things behind. The word forgetting here in the Greek is a word that is much stronger than just our understanding of forgetting. It literally means forgetting completely. And the, the word is often used in the context, and, and this is the imagery Paul is painting here. He's painting the imagery, the picture of a runner running a race. You guys, you've all seen the Olympics, right? And You've seen the, the races. And you ever, you ever see some of these guys that are running and they keep looking behind them? Have you noticed that in the Olympics, when they, when they run, you, you rarely see someone do that unless they're so far ahead of the pack? But, but here's how they train runners to run. They train them to run looking straight ahead because when you start looking behind you, you know what? You slow down. You become distracted. That's when you're going to mess up. And this, this word, forgetting, means forgetting completely. And the picture here is of a runner running a race, and he has put out of his mind those who are behind him so that he is not distracted or hindered in any way, shape, or form by what is behind him. And he is running his race focused on what is ahead of him. Because if we're running our race focused on what's behind us, we cannot be focused on what's ahead of us. And so the word forgetting here speaks of this runner completely forgetting those behind. Paul put no confidence in the flesh, even though at one time he had great confidence, and and rightly so. He had confidence in his flesh. More, More specifically, he had confidence in the works of his flesh. But he put that behind him. He forgot those things. Paul refused to be hindered by the good, the bad, or the ugly. See, most people today deal with bad and ugly things in their past. And they find it very difficult to let go of those things. Or they deal with painful things in their past and they they find it difficult to let go of the painful things. In whatever, Paul says, I count all things. He doesn't qualify that. He just says all things. So those all things, that includes the good, it includes the bad, it includes the ugly, it includes everything. I count all things lost. For what? I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. In other words, the knowledge of Christ is more excellent than my knowledge of things past. The knowledge of Christ is more excellent and must transcend to the point that I can completely forget the pain of my past. 
the hurt of my past, the injustice of my past. I must be able to look ahead so that I'm not hindered by what is behind. So Paul counted all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge ahead in Christ. So our growth, now this is true, our growth includes our past, right? You wouldn't be who you are today without your past. And this is the, this is the amazing, miraculous promise of God. God says that he works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. And believe it or not, your past has made you who you are today. But, but here's more important than that. More important than understanding that is to understand that God in spite of your past and God with your past, God has used even your past. I'm going to say it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's used your past to bring you where you are today. Do you trust him to take you forward into what he has ahead for you. What does he have ahead for you? Well, the scripture's full of promises. Promise to Israel in Jeremiah 29 was, the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, are good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. He's writing them a letter in the midst of their captivity. He's saying, don't believe the lie of the false prophets. You guys really are going to be here 70 years. You are going to go through some really hard times. Just settle it in your hearts. Build houses, plant gardens, marry, have children, have grandchildren. I've got a good future and a good hope for you. Don't look at the circumstances around you. Forget The sin of the past, just don't repeat the same thing. Keep looking ahead. Keep trusting in me. What what you did in the past, what happened in the past has brought you to where you are right now, but no, I'm not going to leave you stuck in the past. I'm not going to leave you stuck in the present. I have a plan, a future for you, and it's good. This is the promise of God for us as his children. Say, man, Pastor Jeff, you don't know my past, though. I don't have to know your past. God knows your past. And you know what? Before you ever had a past, the Bible says Jesus died for you on a cross 2,000 years ago before your past, while your past was still 2,000 years in the future. I don't know why we get so hung up on those things. Oh, how could God ever forgive me for my past? Well, he already did before your past was even present, while it was still future. You do realize that. Your past was future at one time. And God didn't hold your future past against you. He went ahead and died for you in spite of it. So if God can get over it, can we get over it? If God says, I can forget it, I can cast it as far as the east is from the west, can we forget it? Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So our growth includes our past, but we can't get stuck. Because if we get stuck in our past, we can't grow. We can't grow if we're stuck in our past. We can't. So we can can be stuck in our past physically. We can be stuck in our past emotionally. We can be stuck in our past spiritually. And usually it's a combination of all three of them. Being stuck in our past is often a mental stronghold that must be broken in our life. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. This is about this scripture. Let's turn there. Get your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This scripture is about those strongholds of your mind. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about forgetting those things that are behind. How are you going to let go of your past that's got you stuck, that is hindering you and distracting you? You've got to let go of it. You're called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You've got to be able to move forward, to grow forward, but you can't do that while you're still stuck in your past. So here's what Paul says. For though we walk, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God. In other words, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. That word carnal means flesh. You guys ever been to a Mexican restaurant and, and ordered carne guisada? That, what that really means is flesh with gravy. You ever go into a restaurant? Next time you go to a Mexican restaurant, say, I want to order that flesh and gravy. Give me some flesh and gravy. Because that's what it means. Meat and gravy. <laughs> Carnal, carnal, that's what the word carnal means. It means fleshly. Our weapons are not of the flesh, okay? I don't have a taser. I don't have a nine millimeter. They're not temporal things. They're spiritual things. They're eternal. They're, They're much more powerful than anything of the flesh that I could fight with. So they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Well, what's a stronghold? Well, that's... Something floating around up in the heavenlies. I need to come against it. Now, I'll tell you where it's floating around. It's floating around right here between your ears. How do we know that? Because Paul tells us. Casting down strongholds, casting down arguments. Where do arguments begin? (laughs) They begin right here, right? Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So, let's, let's... create a hypothetical situation in the mind of a human being who has a past, and because of their past, they have a hard time believing that God could really love them, or God could really accept them, or that they could really live free from fear. And so here's how the arguments begin. Well, I know what the Bible says. I I heard what the pastor said today. But you know, I just, I just can't believe that God could. What are you doing? You're arguing. There's an argument taking place in your mind. Well, I know what the scripture says, but what are you doing? You're arguing against what God has made known to you. You're having an argument with the knowledge of God. You're exalting something against the knowledge of God and saying, well, I know what the scripture says, but I don't really believe it. What does Paul say? He says, you need to cast that thing down. You need to destroy that argument. You need to pull it down and and render it totally and completely powerless in your life. What is more powerful, your imagination or the Word of God? Well, your imagination is pretty powerful, but I'm going to tell you what, your imagination is going to pass away one day, but the Word of God will last forever through eternity. So what do we want to pin our life on, our imagination or God's Word? Let me, let me give you the answer before you decide. Go ahead and put your money on the Word of God, okay? See, yeah, but Pastor Jeff, that's hard to do. Yeah, imaginations are really powerful. This is why Paul is writing this scripture to us under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. 
So he says, listen, verse 5, let me read it again. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought. There it is right there. Where are our strongholds? There, there are thoughts. They're in our mind. What does the enemy use against us? The enemy didn't walk into the garden and knock Eve down and tie her up and cram the apple down her throat. He didn't. He used her own thoughts, her own imaginations, her own arguments that were going on inside of her head. Do we, know that's, do we know those things were taking place? Absolutely, because God records the arguments that were taking place within her. Wow, it is beautiful to behold. It does look like it would make one wise. Ooh, and it looks really tasty. That's what she said. And she convinced herself, I think I'll eat it. What did she do? She said, God, I don't believe you. I believe my own imagination over you. I believe the word of this serpent over you. What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe your imagination that has been built up and established and rooted and grounded because of your past? Are you going to believe the word of God? And are you going to take God's eternal word and are you going to let the power of the Spirit that, that resides on the inside of you, are you going to allow that to bring those imaginations, those arguments to nothing? You must. Are you going to, are you going to use the power of the Spirit and the knowledge of the truth to bring your thoughts into captivity, to arrest them, to incarcerate them, and make them obey Christ? Because that's exactly what the Scripture says to do bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is the process. Arrest it, incarcerate it, and make it obey. Paul says, renew your mind with the word of God. Trust in the power of the Spirit. You have the power to arrest your thoughts, incarcerate them, and make them obey Christ. Or you can choose to let them run loose and run free. And if you do that, James tells us what will happen. If we allow those temptations, because there's no sin that, that happens in the flesh that doesn't begin right here. Before you ever go out and commit a sinful act, you had a sinful thought. And the reason the sinful act was manifest is because you didn't take hold of, you didn't arrest, incarcerate, and, and cause that sinful thought to come into obedience to Christ. That's what happens. And so, Paul says here, and this is important for us, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So God has given us power and authority over our thoughts. So this word picture Paul is giving us here in the scripture is of this runner running toward the finish line. And as he runs with purpose toward the finish line, he has purposefully forgotten those things behind him so that those things behind him don't become distractions and hindrances in his press toward the goal, toward the prize. And so as he runs, he's not hindered, he's not distracted by those things. Do we run in our own strength, or do we run in the strength of Christ? We're to run in the strength of Christ. Oftentimes we do run in our own strength. We try to run in our own strength. We try to live in our own strength. 
And this is what Paul is really teaching about to the Philippians. Go back to Philippians. When he says, beware of those dogs, beware of the mutilation, what was happening was these people were trying to get these believers to go back to living out of their own strength, out of the power of their own flesh. Paul says, beware of that. You have no strength. Put no confidence in the flesh, he says. So we don't run in our own strength, but in his strength. It's in his strength that we run. But we do run, it is as we run in his strength, we must purpose to forget, to let go of those things that would hinder us. We must reach forward to that which is ahead. Now, if you're trying to hold on, listen, if I'm trying to bring this with me in my race forward, how can I, how can I drag this thing with me and at the same time reach forward? I can't do it, can I? So the very act of reaching forward to those things which are ahead means I've got to let go of the things that I'm trying to hold on to and bring with me. Let go of them. You have to. So Paul suffered. Listen, Paul says, I suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ. Did Paul see his loss as a sacrifice, do you think? I don't think he did at all. He just said, I, do, how many of you have ever taken out the trash? I mean, I don't care. I didn't say if you do it every day. But who has ever taken out the trash? Raise your hand. Okay, so let's just say pretty much everyone here has taken out the trash at some time in their life. Whether it's, guys, I didn't ask, you know, you see, I'm not asking if you do it every time your wife asks you to or before your wife asks. I'm just saying. We've all taken the trash out, right? Now, out of everybody that's ever taken the trash out, how many of you have taken the trash out and walked away from the trash can depressed because you had to let the trash go? <laughs> Anybody? I mean, if you're, if you're too embarrassed to raise your hand, you've done that, please come and talk to me after the service, okay? We, we need to have a conversation. Well, I would venture to say that everybody that's ever taken the trash out has never walked away from the trash can going, man, I just, it was so hard to let that trash go. No. Paul said, thank you, Nadine. That's right, no. <laughs> Paul said, I have counted the loss of all those things as rubbish. I'm not lamenting what I left behind. I have gained something much greater. He wasn't lamenting what was behind. He was looking ahead to what he was gaining in Christ. For in gaining Christ, Paul knew. He knew that he gained everything. Okay? So the fear of letting go, it, it can keep you stuck. But if we don't understand what we're letting go of and why we're letting go, this is why we get stuck. And when we get stuck, that's not a good thing. So Paul says, reach forward, press toward. Amen? Now, listen, this is important too. There's some things that we need to let go of and we need to forget completely. There are other things from our past. Does that mean we forget everything? No. 
There's other things from our past that we need to learn how to hold on to properly. Okay? And if we don't learn how to hold on to them properly or, or understand properly what they are and how to handle them, that's how we get stuck. So Paul goes on and he says, reaching forward to those things ahead. So Paul ran reaching forward to those things ahead and was not distracted by those things behind. He, he didn't run looking behind. He let the past be the past and he ran ahead. Was he unaware of what was in his past? Obviously not, because he writes about it here. It, it doesn't literally mean that you're going to, you know, God's going to bring a big magnet and, and, you know, erase your brain, and you're not going to remember. That's not what Paul's talking about here. There's a right way to remember. There's a right way to hold those things that are in the past. And there's a wrong way to do that. So Paul ran reaching forward, Look what it says here. It says he, he says, as he runs, he's forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. What's he pressing toward? He says, I'm, I, I let those things go that I could gain Christ and be found in him, verse 9. He wanted to be found in Christ, not having his own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Where does our righteousness come from? It comes from faith in Christ. Whose righteousness is it? It's not ours. Through faith in Christ, God gives us His very own righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and we become the righteousness of God. Because, do we have any righteousness in and of ourselves? Absolutely not. So Paul says, listen, I've let those things go because I'm not seeking my own righteousness because I have none. Not having my own righteousness, I want to be found in Him and I want to have the righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. And so Paul is saying something here. Paul is running, but he's not running blind. He's running, reaching forward, pressing toward something that is ahead of him. You guys, how many of you have ever run or, or watched a long-distance race? So this race that Paul talks about, the Scripture talks about, it's not a 100-yard dash. Well, they don't do 100-yard dashes anymore. They do 100-meter dashes. It's, it's more like a marathon. Now, when you start a marathon you know there's a finish line, right? When you start a marathon? See, Joellen, did you run a marathon? Half, okay, when you started that half marathon, did you know there was a finish line? Could you see it? But you knew it was there. And you ran toward it, right? So you weren't running blind, were you? Even though you couldn't see the finish line, you weren't running blind, you knew it was there. And you reached forward to it, and you pressed on toward it. So Paul's not running blind, Paul is running with vision. He had a vision of what was ahead, and he ran toward that. The Bible says he ran in faith. Though, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What was the evidence that Joy Ellen knew there was a finish line? She ran toward it, even though she couldn't see it. What is the evidence for us running this race 
called our walk of faith, what is the evidence that there is something we are running toward? Because we keep moving toward it. So we don't run blind, we run with vision. And we run in faith, even though we can't see what's ahead, we know those things which are ahead. Why? Because God has revealed them to us. He's told us about them. And so just like it would be unreasonable, well, I'm not going to run this race until I can see the finish line. When I can see the finish line, then I'll, I'll start. Well, you're never going to start, are you? Because we ain't running a 100-meter dash. We're running a marathon or longer. But I know because there's a race, there's a finish line. And so he ran with vision. He ran in faith. But he also ran with abandon. In other words, Paul says, I'm not taking anything with me that's going to hinder me and hold me and keep me stuck in my past. I count all that is lost for the excellence of what is before me. See, if you live your life continuing to look at your past, continuing to live in your past, continuing to live in the regrets of your past, do you know a lot of people, they're living in the present trying to fix their past. You can't do that either. you got to let go of your past and put it all in God's hands and let God be the one that deals with it. What we need to do is keep pressing toward and moving forward. And so he ran with abandon. The things he counted loss, he did not compare to his gain. A runner doesn't say, you know, I think I'm going to stay at the starting line because I think the starting line is more valuable than the finish line. No, they abandon the starting line for the excellence of the finish line. Because <laughs> you don't run a race for what you get at the starting line. You run a race for what you get at the finish line. And there's joy in the journey in between, right? So what is ahead of us in Christ now and in eternity is far greater than those things behind. And Paul understood this truth. He understood it in a much greater way than we are able to, or we often do today. So those things behind were those things of the old that had passed away. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. As disciples, if we're fixated on what's in our past, the good, the bad, or the ugly, it will hinder us in our race, in our forward movement to what is ahead. So are we fixated on what is behind, or are we fixing our eyes on what is ahead? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Do we live in the loss of what is behind, or do we live in the gain of those things ahead as we are now being conformed? Not one day will be, but now being conformed to the image of Christ. And what was it that Paul is talking about in the context of these things? What did Paul say, I'm pressing toward? To know Him, he says... And the power of his resurrection, verse 10. 
To know Christ and the power of His resurrection is to know His life. Amen? Romans 8, 11, The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. To know the fellowship of His sufferings. He said, I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. Why? Because 2 Timothy 2, 12, Paul says, If you want to reign with Him, you must suffer with Him. And in the fellowship of His sufferings, Paul came to know the authority that is in Christ. He says, I want to know His authority. I want to be conformed to His death. Why would Paul want to be conformed to Christ's death? Because Paul says in his letter to the Romans, death has no power. Sin has no power over a dead man. And as we come to reckon ourselves dead and crucified with Christ, we come to understand that sin has no power over us any longer. In coming to know Christ in His death, we come to know the freedom, the true freedom that we have in Christ. This is what Paul was pressing toward. This is what he wanted to know, to attain to the resurrection of the dead. In other words, to to be ultimately and finally conformed to the image of Christ. Do you know that's going to happen one day? We are right now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but we still live in these sinful flesh bodies. The Spirit of... This is is an amazing thing. The Spirit of God dwells on the inside of your flesh and blood. Amazing. It's beyond comprehension. This is what eye could not see. This is what ear had never heard. This is what had never entered into the heart of man, what God had prepared for those who love Him. That God, the holy God of creation, the almighty God, the Lord of lords would dwell inside of these clay vessels. It had never been heard of. It had never been thought of. But yet it is reality. But this isn't the end because one day this 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 mortality will put on immortality. One day this corruption will put on incorruption. One day we will finally and completely be conformed to the image of Christ. Paul says, "This this is what I'm pressing toward. This is my hope. This is the promise that I have right now in Jesus Christ. This is what I am running to. This is why everything behind me I count as rubbish. I count as lost for the excellence of what is ahead. Galatians 1.16, he said, God separated me from my mother's womb that he might reveal his son in me. This is what God wants to do in our life, church. God wants to reveal his son in you. God wants to reveal his son to you. God wants to reveal his son to you. Through you. This is being conformed to the image of Christ. This is our destiny. Romans 8.29 says we were predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Child of God, you are destined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. And you're not going to be conformed in the power of your flesh. By the works of your flesh, you're going to be conformed because God in His grace, has put His Spirit in you and that Spirit will conform you. You can have the sure hope of resurrection bodily one day, not because of what God will do one day, but because of what He's already done and what you already live in right now. 
This is what Paul knew. This is why Paul says, you know what? What is behind me, I counted as loss. And I'm not lamenting over what I've lost. I am rejoicing over what is ahead of me and what I have gained in Christ. Are you lamenting over your past or are you rejoicing in the reality of your life in Christ? How did Paul begin Philippians 3? Rejoice. A reminder for them to rejoice. To gain Christ is to gain fullness of joy. To know Christ is to know fullness of joy. Psalm 1611, in His presence, you will show me the path of life for in your presence is full. Who is the path of life? Christ is. When do we come into His presence? You better be living in it right now. When do I come into the presence of the Father? You better be living in it right now. John 14, 21. Because after the cross and after the resurrection, Jesus said, in that day that I live, you will know that I am in you and you are in me and we are in the Father. Hallelujah. Living in His presence is not what I'm waiting to live in one day. It is the reality of where I live right now. The problem is we don't have the comprehension of it because we're still living in the past. We're still living out of an old creation. We're still living out of an old, unrenewed mind. And I wouldn't fear what's in my future if I understood what was a reality in the promise of God right now. So to gain Christ is to gain gain the fullness of joy. To know Christ is to know the fullness of joy. The mark of maturity is to have this mind. Paul goes on, verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. What mind? This mind of forgetting what is behind and pressing onward, forward to what is ahead. As many as are mature, let this mind, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Praise God, that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. When you start thinking and living and getting stuck in your past, you know what the Spirit of God's going to do? He's going to bring to your mind. He's going he's to say, stop that. Why are you doing that? And at that point in time, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep wallowing in the past because it's real convenient and real familiar to be a victim, or are you going to forget those things and look ahead and understand what God has done in Christ? We must look ahead. We must reach forward and press toward. You know, one of the hardest things when we talk about this, is learning how to forget properly. Remember I said, what most people deal with today are not trying to get a handle on their righteousness in the flesh. Because I am such a moral person. Most of what people deal with today are the painful things from the past. Whether it's at the hands of another person, or, or whether it's just simply the loss that you've experienced through the death of a loved one. 
I've lost, lost both of my parents. Um, I just saw my nephew buried, and I'm in the process of watching my sister, who's lost four children now. She's nine years older than me. It's the fourth child she's lost. And you know, it's real nice to get up here and talk about these things and quote, quote Scripture, but the reality is, life is difficult. But the Scripture is the Scripture and the truth is the truth. And there is a way that we've got to, to learn how to walk out of our past and into what God has for us. And if we continue to live stuck, if my sister continues to live stuck in her past, she, she will never be able to experience what God, God has for her. And praise God, she's doing great. She really is. She's doing, doing really good. But you know, there's a lot of people who have suffered loss. You know people. Maybe you have suffered loss. Or you know someone that has suffered loss. Or you know someone who is stuck in the past and they can't seem to get unstuck. And this is Paul's exhortation to us. To not look behind, but to look ahead. How do we do that? We've got to learn how to forget properly. We've got to learn how to let go of those things that are behind. Those things that hinder us from reaching forward and pressing toward. And how do we discern what things are, are those things that we need to let go of completely and those things that we need to learn how to hold properly. You know, I was thinking about this as I was thinking of all the loved ones that I know, and specifically, uh, you know, like my sister who's lost four children. How do you deal with something like that, or a spouse that's lost a, um, their spouse, a husband or a wife, and the other spouse is left? How do, you deal, how do you deal with that? You know, this is why Paul says that we are not those who, who grieve as having no hope. And, and as we think about those, those are things behind us, right? But the reality is, those loved ones are not behind us. In, in fact, those loved ones have preceded us. They are ahead of us. And as believers, we need to remind ourselves that we're not... We're not hanging on to this. We're not living in this because I'm afraid to let go because I don't want my loved one to be forgotten. No, my loved one is not back here anymore. My loved one has gone on. They have preceded me. They are literally, really in the presence of the Lord. They're not in this earth any longer. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As we press on, we press on ahead to where they are. We don't Remember them and look at them as in the past. We remember them and look at them as in the future. David said, I can't bring my child to me, but I will go to him. And one day, we will all experience loss in that way. In some form or some fashion. And, and maybe you've never experienced loss like that. And you can't imagine what it's like. But you need to understand that, that if you live long enough on this earth, you will experience it. Your loved ones will pass on. 
And, and when that happens, or you're going to experience something painful in your life, and when that happens, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to live stuck? Or are you going to press on? Knowing that in Christ, what we have is ahead of us. That those who have passed on in Christ are not behind us, they are ahead of us. Which should give us all the more motivation and all the more reason to reach forward and to press toward the goal, the prize of the high calling in Christ. Amen. Whatever it may be that's holding you and hindering you, I pray that you would, by the grace of God, forget those things, let go of those things, and reach forward and press on to those things which are ahead. This is our greatest joy, and this is His greatest glory. Amen? Let's stand. This is discipleship. This is growth. This is maturity. This is the mind that Paul says that we are to have. As many as are mature have this mind. Father, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus that by your grace and by the power of your Spirit that lives within us as believers that you would Help us to have this mind. That you would teach us, Lord, how to properly let go. How to properly hold. That, Lord, you would teach us the value, the importance, the absolute necessity of reaching forward and pressing toward and not holding on to and look back to that which is behind us and be hindered or even stuck in our past. Father, I pray that you would bring deliverance. You would bring a revelation of the truth, and the truth would set your people free. I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment. But if you're here today, and you're struggling, you're struggling with things from your past. You say, you know what? There are just some things that have a hold of me, and I can't seem to let go. A painful experience, an injustice, uh, it might be the loss of a loved one. I, it doesn't really matter what it is. It might be uh, someone's done something to you and I can't forgive that person. Whatever it is, if you would like prayer, there's power in prayer, there's power in agreement. And God wants you to be free from those things. When I dismiss, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I want you and the elders to pray with me concerning these things. You come forward and we will pray. And we'll stay here and we'll pray with you and we'll minister to you and visit with you as long as it takes, okay? So Father, I just pray if there are any here, Lord, who need to be set free, Father, they would come. And Lord, we will trust you to be the one to set them free. We'll trust you to be the one that will, by your Spirit, help them walk free from their past into the gain that is ahead of them in Christ Jesus. Father, bless these people today. And we thank you, Lord, that as we leave this place, I pray that we would go and we would be the salt and be the light of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If you want prayer, come. Just uh, come up here and we will pray.